Your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis uh, chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. Okay, so uh, recently um, I was speaking to a, a friend of mine. Um, he was an older Christian man, or he is an older Christian man. And in this conversation, he was telling me of his spiritual problems. To be blunt, he is a man who's been a Christian for many, many years. He's been a Christian uh, for many decades. But at the moment, he feels very far from God. So he's a guy who is feeling cold spiritually, um, joyless in reading the Bible. Um, he's a man who is praying infrequently. He is a man who is saved, but he is a man who has doubts. And he is a man who is saved, but he is also a man who, at this present moment in time, is struggling. Well, if that's a condition that we can relate to tonight, then hopefully um, we'll see that this passage of Scripture, this chapter of Scripture, Genesis chapter 17, is most pertinent for us. It is most relevant. Okay, what, what are we looking at? What have we seen in the, the background here in this chunk of Scripture? Well, remember Genesis 12, what happened? God called Abram, and he's promised Abram all of these great blessings in Genesis 12. Then in Genesis chapter 15, you remember what happened? You know, sort of doubts begin to really arise in Abram's mind, especially about this, this promise from God that he's going to have a child. He's really doubting that. Then what happens? Well, then God seeks to alleviate those doubts. Do you remember how he did it? He sort of formalized these promises by way of a covenant. You know, he cut a covenant with, 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 with Abram formally. But then guess what? Do you remember what happened in chapter 16? Uh, the doubts return. And there was that, the last time we looked at it, there was that sort of wicked, uh, complicated plan with Hagar, wasn't there? And so because of that, when we open our Bibles today and we come in at Genesis 17, I guess it shouldn't really surprise us that 13 years after this plan with Hagar, we find Abram, a man who is still struggling to trust God. We've got a man here in Genesis 17 who is doubting God so much that what we're going to see is that he even laughs at one point at the, the mere thought that he and his wife are going to have this child. Okay? So let's, let's look at this. Okay? Let's look at this chapter and let's think about the ways in which God reignites faltering, struggling faith. And let's consider firstly Point one, the restating of the covenant. The restating of the covenant. Okay. Right, so as we get into Genesis 17, remember what we've got to have at the back of our minds is that Abram's had this child with his, what is it, his wife's uh, servant girl, Hagar. And by this stage, this, this kid, this child, Ishmael, is a teenager. Okay, he's 13 years old. And what we learn later on in the chapter here is that Abram's kind of hoping that what will happen here is that God is going to 
God's going to alter his plans. That's what Abraham's hoping. Abraham's hoping that God is going to sort of reduce the sort of his promise of blessing. That instead of a child for Abram and Sarai and numerous offspring, because Abram's really struggling with his doubt, he's not quite sort of believing what's going on here, he's hoping that what God will do is just put his sort of hand of blessing over the existing kid. That God will just sort of reduce all this blessing and he'll just bless Ishmael, right? Now, what we've got to think about is what what does God do here? Here's a man struggling with his faith. How does God help him here? How does he help him with his doubt? Okay, first thing is that to reassure him, God appears to Abram, doesn't he? He appears to Abram. You see, um, unlike in chapter 15, where in doubt, Abram sort of calls out to God, doesn't he? He sort of questions God and he asks God, saying, unlike that here, what we've got is God seeing this man who's struggling with his faith and unsolicited, you know, unrequested, voluntarily, God goes to this guy. God goes to this man who's lacking assurance. And he goes to him, but do you see what God says to him? See it? Note what God calls himself here in verse 1. Do you see it? He goes to Abram. Remember this man who's struggling? And he goes to him and he reminds him, I am God Almighty, Abram. I am El Shaddai, the name that God often uses in Scripture when there is a person who is who's doubting and struggling in their faith. Do you see what God's saying to, to Abram? He appears to him in his doubt and he's saying, come on, man, I can fulfill my promises. I can do anything, Abraham. I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. So to reassure him, God appears to Abraham. But then more than that, what we also see is that to reassure him, God, what God does is he reveals more of his covenantal promises. He reveals more about the covenantal promises. Now, um, I am no expert on kids. Not at all. Um, But having had three of my own, uh, there is just one thing that I've learnt about children. And uh, that is when their birthday is coming up and they're pestering you. And they do that when there's a birthday on the horizon. When kids are, are pestering you and they're sort of doubting whether, it, whether their dad has got them a present and they're wanting to know if he has got them a present, what it is, that the best way to reassure them and the best way basically to get them off your case is to give them a sort of little detail about what it is that you've bought them. So they come to you, you know, the kids, and they're like, Dad, Dad, have you bought me anything for my birthday? Dad, Dad, what have you bought me for your birthday? And if you can say to them, well, actually, I've got you something, and it's red, and it's made of metal, then they go away happy. You know, they're sort of placated, and they sort of wander off, wondering to themselves, I wonder what it is that Dad has got me. Well, you see in a way that that's what God does here with with Abram, isn't it? I mean, Abram's doubting, he's unsure. So 
to reassure him, God gives him further detail. He gives him some, some detail about the present, about, the, about the, 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 the covenant, the blessing. And in this chunk of scripture we've got from verse 3 to 8, what we find are the promises to Abram enlarged upon and revealed in a number of ways. And I would ask you just to look at this with me from verse 3 to 8. So how are these promises, the covenant of promises in large form? Look, look at it, please. First of all, we've got this, this, you know, this promise of fathering nations. It's enlarged upon, isn't it? Because Abram's now promised that there is a sort of royal aspect to this blessing, that he's not just going to be father of nations. But he, this covenant, this, this promise is he's going to be father of kings as well. And then do you see how this promise is enshrined? Do you see it? We learn about this in Sunday school, don't we? God gets a sort of divine deed pole out and he changes Abram's name to Abram. He is actually now literally father of a multitude. What else does he reveal? He reveals the extent of the covenant as well, doesn't he? This is not just to be a bond between Abram or between God and Abram. This is to be a bond between Abram and God and all of Abram's descendants. And then he even reveals that the essence, the core of this covenant. Because not only is this arrangement, this agreement, going to have all these wonderful blessings to Abram, but look, God also promises here himself. Look, repeated verses 7, verses 8. I will be your God. So I hope you see it with me. What we've got here we're seeing is that God reignites faith by pointing Abram to his promises. Fine, you say. <laughs> but I can see the question. The question is, what happens if it's you tonight that's struggling in the way that Abram struggled. And what happens if it's us in here tonight that is in the same situation as the guy that I started the sermon with? What if it's us tonight who is really, really faltering in our faith? How do we do this? How do we look to the promises? What does that even mean? Well, in the New Testament, in Galatians chapter 3, what the Apostle Paul does when he's writing to this church in Galatia, he writes about these very promises, these specific promises that we've got here in Genesis 17. And if what he says to the church there in Galatia is that these promises, these blessings, they were promised by God to Abram and to Jesus. That these promises of Genesis 17 were made to Abram and his seed, to Abram and to Christ. And Paul writes to the Galatians to say that they, that we, that you and I, that we can only enjoy the, 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 the blessings here of this covenant if we are in and united to Jesus Christ. Now, I wonder, do you see what that means for us? 
It means if we're like that guy at the start of the sermon. It means that if we are tonight really struggling with doubt and we're sort of cold, a bit cold spiritually, it means that we do not um, just try and sort of alleviate that spiritual doubt by changing how we see human beings. And it means that we don't alleviate spiritual doubt by just occasionally coming along to church a wee bit more or by meeting up with a few more Christian friends now again as valuable as that that might be we want spiritual change and refreshment it means that we must look to jesus christ that we look to him that we work on our relationship with jesus that we do things like like what we saw stephen do this morning we pray to jesus we read about jesus christ that we meditate upon his character, the character of the one true king that we come out of Abram's life. Do you see it? It is this refreshment that comes in Jesus Christ. In doubt, Abram is told to focus on the promises. But we are to focus on the one through whom the promises come. So if you are in that situation, if you are, cold spiritually know that warmth does come in jesus christ we must look to him so we see that restating of the covenant okay let's move on let's consider the responsibilities of the covenant the restating now the responsibilities of the covenant now um, we know, don't we, that uh, when a politician, let's say, is taken into the BBC uh, studios for a, for a TV interview, that what will happen in that scenario is that the camera is going to sort of flick between the one who's doing the interview and the one who's being interviewed, won't it? The camera will flick between the two. Well, in a way, we've got that in Genesis 17. Because remember what we've seen before. We're talking about covenants. What was a covenant? A covenant was a bond between two parties, wasn't it? It's a bond between God and man. And what we've got here in this first section that we've just looked at, the camera, if you like, is on God, isn't it? So it's a bond between two parties. Look at verse 4. What does God say? He says, as for me. See, the camera's on God. It's on his side of the bargain, if you like. His side of the covenant. But then what we see is the camera shift. Look at verse 9. We've seen God say, As for me, I will do this. But in verse 9, he says to Abram, As for you. So what we're thinking about here is what, what is Abram's side of the deal what is abram to do if he is going to enjoy the blessings of this covenant and what we see is that abram is called to administer do you see it? he is called to administer what is known as a covenant sign now you're not getting off the hook lightly because we've encountered covenant signs before but it was a while ago um 
So remember, you know, God promises Noah. Remember the promise he's never going to flood the earth again in that way. What's the covenant sign? Covenant sign is a rainbow. We've seen covenant signs before. What's the covenant sign here? You see it? What is it? It's not a rainbow. Man alive, it's not a rainbow. (laughs) The covenant sign is circumcision. So Abram's called here to permanently mark the reproductive organ of every male member of the community. Okay? It's quite a thought, isn't it? On the eighth day, every child in this community is to be circumcised. So I guess what we've got to do is work out what what's it all about? What does this mean? And I said before that I'd forgotten my uh, bulletproof vest. I kind of feel a bit like that again tonight because I know that I am on contentious ground with this. But I'm going to carry on regardless. And let me say this. Please get it. That circumcision was not just a badge of ethnicity. It wasn't. There is no way it was. Abram is not just called to do this and mark the children like this as some sort of later way of distinguishing between who were Jews and who were not Jews. No way. There's more to it than that. Abram was circumcised as a reminder of the inward spiritual cleansing required in this covenant. Okay, get this. Abram is circumcised as a reminder of that faith. Remember the faith we saw in chapter 15 that has been credited to him as righteousness. I mean, that's why, surely, this isn't a rainbow. This is a covenant sign that required the spilling of blood. 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 Always associated in Scripture with the cleansing from, 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 from sin. And this is something that we see all the way through Scripture. Time and time again, what does the Bible do? It associates circumcision with spiritual cleansing. So you've got Moses. Moses, okay? Deuteronomy 10. Moses, again, Deuteronomy 30. Do you know what he speaks about? He speaks about circumcision of the heart. Then you get into the New Testament, and you're, you're, you're dealing with Paul in Romans 4, and he says not that Abram was circumcised as a badge of ethnicity. What does Paul say in Romans 4? He says that Abram was circumcised as a seal of his righteousness. You see, it's all over the Bible. Circumcision, inward spiritual cleansing. And what we've got to see and understand is the importance of this for us. Because I wonder, do you remember a few weeks ago, at the start of a sermon, we had a very, very short introduction to covenant, covenant theology. Do you remember that? Were you here that night? Well, we saw as part of that that we do not read the Bible in chunks. We don't. We don't read the Bible and understand the Bible in sort of dispensations. And some part of it is relevant to us, some part of it's not. We don't read the Bible like that. 
We read and understand the Bible as one long, beautiful, continuous storyline that God's covenant of grace, okay, God's intention to save by grace through faith, that it stretched all the way through, that it begun after the Garden of Eden and it continued all the way through the Bible, that all of these other covenants that we've got in Scripture, all these other covenants that we read here, why do they exist? So that they can expand and explain more of that awesome, overarching master plan of the covenant of grace. You see, when we get that, this beautiful stretching storyline, when we understand that, what we also realize is in the New Testament with Christ. Get this. This is the important point. This is where we're going. In Christ, although the sign of the covenant of grace changes from what to what? From circumcision to baptism. Partly, surely, because there is no need for blood to be spilt anymore. Christ's blood has been spilt. That although the sign of the covenant of grace changes. The recipients of the covenant sign remain the same. You see it? There's this long, beautiful, overarching covenant of grace. So just as the children of the community in Genesis 17 were to be circumcised to point to the inward spiritual cleansing, so guess what? The children of believers, they are to be baptized. Why? To point to the inward spiritual cleansing, the need for inward spiritual cleansing. I tell you this, that is why in the New Testament, Peter, he stands up at Pentecost. And remember, he's preaching to the crowd. And he's explaining this phenomenon that all these people are being saved at Pentecost. And he's explaining what's going on and he's preaching. And where does he go? What's his text? This is Genesis 17. He says to the crowd, it's always been like this. The covenant of grace. It's always been like this. There's always been the need of the Holy Spirit, to be saved from sin. And what does he say? The promise is for you and for your children. And I know that some of you disagree with me on this. That's fine in some ways. But what I am saying is that is what I believe for what it's worth. That is what Presbyterians believe, that's what Methodists believe, Anglicans believe, that's what millions of people around the world throughout the ages have seen beautifully revealed by God in his holy word. But friends, even if you are struggling greatly with with that, I think there's something here that we can all agree on, and it's something wonderful. See, here's the question. Why is it that God has got Abram to circumcise himself. Well, we've seen that. But here's another thing. He's done it for Abram's own assurance. Remember? 
He's doubting. He's struggling. But there's circumcision. There's this permanent reminder to the man of the goodness and the blessing and the, the covenant glory for Abram. Isn't that amazing that both sides of this covenant, both sides, God's promises, Abram's responsibilities, we've seen them both, both sides function to strengthen this doubting man's faith. And I hope you see tonight that this stuff can can strengthen your faith. That as Abram was to look to the covenant signed, so if you're faltering, if you are really struggling tonight, that you not only look to the person of Jesus Christ, but friend, if you're struggling tonight, look at your baptism. Look at your baptism. Look to the work that Christ has done for you. Don't just meditate on him, but also consider his life and his death and his resurrection victory. Consider the love that God must have for you if he sent his son to die for you. Consider that. A circumcision provided reassurance. So too should our baptism in Christ. So the restating of the covenant, the responsibilities of the covenant, I'm just going to end with a very short thought. It's our third thing here, and that is the resplendence of the covenant. The resplendence of the covenant. I'm going to be 36 years old this year. And I feel past it, you know. I, I do, you know. When it comes to kids, I'm too old for this, you know. Running around after a three-year-old. Gavin was doing it in the garden earlier on. I was looking, I was just looking with awe at him running around chasing after a three-year-old and a, a four-year-old. And I feel my knees. I'm past it. And so in some ways I can kind of dig um, Abram's predicament or his doubt here, you know? I mean, I, I, I can see why in verse 17 we've got him falling down and, and laughing. I'm 35. He's 99. Okay? And he's got a, a teenager. You know, I can see why he speaks to God here. And he asks God to reduce this blessing, to cover Ishmael, to cover the existing son, remember, rather than this promise, the existing promise of another son. What happens? Well, what we see is that God again speaks to Abram. And what he does when he speaks to him here at the end, this last section of Scripture, is he shows the man the awesomeness, the resplendence of the covenant of grace. Because he tells Abram, okay, Abram, yeah, okay, you, you want blessing, you're going to be blessed. But he tells him that this blessing that he's going to receive is greater. It is larger. It is greater than Abram hoped for. Because he tells him that his wife is going to play a part in this. She too is to be renamed, isn't she? She's not Sarai anymore. She's Sarah tells him that a new son is going to be born. Such is the certainty of it. God even tells him what his name is going to be. Do you see the point? Do you? 
the promise, the blessing, the grace. It is infinitely greater than Abram was imagining. It is infinitely greater than this man could ever have hoped for. And I just want to leave you with a thought tonight. Especially if you are struggling in your faith. The thought that God is awesome. That God is greater than you think he is. That he loves you much more than you can possibly imagine. And if we're doubting tonight, yes, we've got to look to Jesus. We must look to Christ. Yes, we also look to his work. But we must also look to the wonder and the glory of what is going to happen to us. The glory of what is going to come to us because of Christ. You see, what I can guarantee you this evening, if you're a Christian, is that through Christ, God has a future for you that is better than you can possibly imagine. Okay? That in Jesus Christ, because of Jesus Christ, your future in Jesus Christ, it is guaranteed bigger and brighter and better than you can possibly envisage. And see, that's the problem that Abram was having here. That's the thing that Abram could not get his head around. He just couldn't get it. That the gospel, that the covenant of grace was awesome. That it was much more awesome than he could possibly see. That no eye has seen or ear heard or mind can see. What God has promised for those who love him. And so what do we see as we leave the chapter? What have we got at the end of the chapter? We find a man and his faith is restored and his heart is now warm and his joy is reignited and therefore he is a man who goes. And what does he do? He obeys the Lord. And he goes that very day and he circumcises the covenant community. Friends, I wonder tonight, can you put aside your faltering faith? Let's look to Jesus. Let's look to what he has done. But let's also look forward to what is coming to us. And let's go out and enjoy the resplendence of the covenant. And let us be obedient, obedient to our God. Let us pray.